All right, welcome to the Raleigh Bitcoin Meetup Podcast. Our opening question, what does the new Bitcoin user look in the year 2020 compared to the previous decade? I think especially as we're setting up for this new bull run, hopefully, and Lightning Network is starting to gain mainstream attention, uh, that everyone's starting to use it and start using Bitcoin again in a major way, uh, we should think about how it's going to look different. I think it's, I if I were to say, just a initial idea of the drastic way it's going to look different in 2020 compared to if they came in in 2015 or any time in the previous decade is they've now used Venmo. They've used Cash App. The idea of sending money easily to your friends is no longer a compelling first feature, which was a compelling first feature when I came in. And we just have to realize that some of those initial compelling features are not there anymore. So that's just an example. I wonder if you guys kind of have some other ideas about what, what the new user will look like now compared to in the past i think the new user looks better um is better dressed has mm. a newer haircut more style warehouse more stylish <laughs> clothes uh gonna like the way you feel you're, you say that but you're not joking <laughs> people did really get more joking. stylish yeah. in the last five years people got in shape <laughs> like, there was like, some of us <laughs> um <laughs> the new user definitely knows how to use cash app yep. and venmo like you're saying mm. they're not going to be uh wiring money to Mt. Gox, or they're not even going to be ACHing money to Coinbase. They're, pro I mean, maybe a little bit of Coinbase, but I think the new users are mostly going to be doing Cash App. And what are the other phone apps where you can buy Bitcoin? Robinhood. And then there's that one, that purple one, starts with a V. Anyway, I feel like the new class of users... Oh, you know, there might also be this new class of freedom you know, like Bitcoin is freedom money. Like the, I would hope so. The deplatforming mm -hmm. people that are like all about the solutions to deplatforming, those might. I mean, I've been in. seeing the deplatforming people say basically like the solution is Bitcoin and no one in Bitcoin has built the solution. Obviously, we know in Bitcoin how hard it is to get people to spend it. And we know that even if someone did jump ship, they would probably just drown immediately if they did try to just go, to go straight to Bitcoin payments and they've been used to YouTube pay type mm -hmm. payments. But. There's definitely a demand for it that's eventually going to get filled. Some people need to have Patreon, but with Bitcoin in, in at scale where they act, their fans actually use it. Yeah, before I guess last bull run, BTC Pay server didn't exist, and now it does, and that'll provide a a better alternative than than before for those people who are actually wanting to use it who have been deplatformed and for whatever reason. I think we're going to see people using a bitcoin app that's been designed or endorsed by the federal government <laughs> that is a custody solution where you can put your bitcoin or some other form of cryptocurrency aka shitcoin on the app and it's going to have a really catchy name like snap or you know munch what for after munchin munch munch can it have the, the face of alan guy. greenspan i don't, on it? I don't it's going to it's going to be wrapped in in the the shroud of terran it's going to be like presented as this epic government solution it's going to have a cool catchy name like private government <laughs> payment system like and it's going to and it's going to create such a disillusion in the system because people are actually going to believe that it's a move in the right direction you think but it's actually putting them further into 
government hands. They're going to be more in debt, and the user's going to be less educated about money. Do you th- are you describing this like you think this would actually happen? Because unfortunately, I think it's a terrible suggestion. Like it would work well because then you've put give them a position where they could oh, seize I'm in everybody's the process of making it right now. You've confessed to me recently that you're the right hand of the devil, and I don't appreciate <laughs> it. No, no, that's not what I said at all. I said I'd rather be the right hand of the devil than bad. Very different analogy. Hey, what happens at church stays at church. Yeah. Church well, sessions are not recorded. This is all God's church, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think that we're gonna see we're gonna see the movement get a lot of traction. The people that are Bitcoiners are gonna be more hardcore, and there's gonna be greater avenues for us to claim back some sovereign ter- territory. But I don't think we're in the death throes of government money. I think the government money is only we're only starting to see how far they can take it. And we're only starting to see how hard they can grip and hold on to the reins for the horse that they're riding. Is, is it your contention that Bitcoiners are going to get more hardcore? You, yes, I think that this we are currently we're opening the Viagra bottle. Bitcoin is opening the Bitcoin Viagra bottle. And we're going to swallow that pill. We're going to get so hard, not even a cat could scratch it. Just, just keep the doctor on speed dial <laughs> yes. every four hours. Priapism. Man, I don't know. I don't think that is... I think that is severely overestimating people's uh, interest in personal sovereignty. To think that Bitcoiners are going to get... more Like, new Bitcoiners in 2020 are going to be more hardcore than existing Bitcoiners. So I think that, um, maybe let me rephrase what I'm saying, because I, I, I think that the Bitcoiners that are in the system now, in a decade's time, are going to be more hardcore than the Bitcoiners we have now. I think we're going to have a okay. decade of talking about Bitcoin, a decade of Austrian economics, a decade of developing kick-ass apps and systems and applications and second layer and third layer solutions yeah. where today's Bitcoin And you just get more comfortable with everything. Exactly. So you know? so I, I'm 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 envisioning the twenty thirty Bitcoiner is more hardcore. And the people that are getting into Bitcoin into twenty in twenty thirty, the the twenty thirty noobs are gonna be people that are being deceived as to what Bitcoin actually is. Okay. They're being sold a custody solution that is endorsed and promoted and insured by the government. And then it'll take them a few years to get hard like the current guys. <laughs> Gonna slap it a couple times. <laughs> did, did I get out the the only thing that concerns me about what you described is that you've given uh, a government the ability to confiscate all the Bitcoin at once like they did gold. Like that's a terrible like I don't. That's such a terrible solution. No, I don't know. I, I'm not saying I have the answer or I have a crystal ball, but I just think that uh, there are a lot of people that are intrigued at a, an alternative speculative asset that they can put their money into, like gold. But um, gold's got some government regulation. Um, maybe more people would. And I'm not suggesting this is a good thing by any means. I'm just thinking, if if I was coming in here and I was, if I was the G man, how would I? How would I? crumble and infiltrate bitcoin from the inside is that i would start selling the g-man oh you mean the government man? yeah okay the, the right. government man okay. who's coming in to infiltrate bitcoin is i would i would i would sell all the benefits with some added protections from the government on top you basically create a custody solution for bitcoin so the government comes out with their own custody solution 
for actual Bitcoin. Sure. Why not? Well, That's kind of interesting. I've they, never thought about that. Once they have a, custo- a custodial solution, they can force everyone to use it. So, yeah, it's, the legal, only reason they're it's not legal to have Bitcoin, obviously. We, could, we wouldn't mm-hmm. outlaw you owning Bitcoin, but just custody it with us. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's pretty that's, – that's, that doesn't sound that bad when you say it, right? But if you start thinking about how government yeah. regulation ha- will affect Bitcoin's mission, like the mission creep that will influence the direction of Bitcoin, it would have drastic consequences for what Bitcoin will be in a decade if this starts happening. Well, in another decade. In a decade, we'll probably have 10 times the current number of homeless people in Raleigh. Are you going to respect the government when there are 10 times the homeless people in Raleigh walking around? You're getting hit up 10 times as often as you are today? Like, let's not pretend like the government's going to create anything good in the next decade. Like, that we're heading towards the dystopian future until we reverse it. Like, we I have thought to... I was describing that future. But well, you are. But, like, you're asking, but are people going to, like, how much people will ha- hate government so much more in, in a decade? It will have no credibility whatsoever. It will only be indisplaceable. And will mainly be indisplaceable because there's still going to be a, a well-paid group at the top that are part of the normies, but have been compromised and like still like give hope that you can fight hard and, and do okay, you know. But I also think it's hard not to rule out how comfortable people can be and how little it takes people to be comfortable. Um, take, for example, the wondrous gazelle. You just need to give it enough grass and just few enough natural predators, and it will live very, very happy. But aren't you going to be worried when, like, you're getting shot at at the movie theater, you're getting shot at at the mall, because everyone Man, is actually spiritually miserable? So, so, like, I, I, I could keep giving analogies, and you could and you could keep making the hypothetical worse and worse, but, but what I'm talking about is the everyday, average person, how comfortable they are slowly getting boiled in their own filth. Because that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about... What is it going to take until something happens in a revolt? And uh, well, it sounds like that's what you're saying. What is it going to take until someone says, oh, enough's enough? And I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is I think people are incredibly comfortable, and it's easy to make people comfortable. Make sure that there's a Super Bowl once a year. Make sure that the internet works and that it seems relatively free and and, and relatively unregulated, and you could post your opinions if you want to. Um Make sure that people have access to the news and they can make cell phone calls and they can tweet and they can get on TikTok in a, in a private booth if they need one. Uh, <laughs> po- point being, is it doesn't take a lot to convince people to be comfortable with what they have. I mean, we, we claim to be this incredibly free and incredibly democratic um, government and, and country, but there are tremendously undemocratic principles. Um, our Senate is the least democratic um, part of 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 uh, of our government and um and they currently are making a ton of decisions well to me it sounds like you're you're outlining a bunch of things that that bring up a point that was discussed in the telegram group which is the concept of learned dependencies mm. and you know this is something that that really bugs me and it's very confusing because it you know all these things you're talking about you know okay yeah yeah we've we've got internet we've got you know food on the table we've got these things and you know if you're just given that you know, it seems like, well, how could that be a bad thing? And over time, if you're if you're given enough things, it becomes not a good thing. But yeah. do you think people will really fall for it? I mean, people are miserable between one percent and ten percent of their lives. Like, yeah, ninety percent of the time they're pretty comfortable, but they they're constantly aware of this misery. It just like spikes and goes away, spikes and goes away. I think. So, yeah. can, can I maybe uh, ask a question to 
maybe gain some understanding into into that statement. Do you think the majority of Americans were satisfied with the economic stimulus package where everyone got eighteen hundred dollars? Wait, when did this happen? Like in two thousand eight? No, no, was it, was it before eight? that? So, some yeah, of the, no, it was, I thought it was only six hundred dollars. So. No, if you were married, you got eighteen hundred dollars. Oh, okay, um, so six eight hundred dollars if you're single, but maybe it was two thousand six because I think I was in college or law school. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think a majority of people are like, hell yeah, I'm getting this thing for free, and I think that there were a lot of people that were like, no, no, this is not a good idea. Why are we just giving people money and people are just going out and buying new iPhones? Right, but you still take it though because you know if you don't take it, you're worse off. So you still take it, even though if you realize it's not the best thing for you to do, you know, on a broad scale. Like, What's the question, though? Here's here's my concern. I think you think that people aren't going to notice the quality of their lives go down. You don't think they're going to notice that they're living in a smaller house than their parents did, that they had to take a longer time to get married than their parents did, that their kids aren't going to have a better as good life as they did. They're not going to go as, on as many vacations, that sort of thing. Like, uh, people are going to realize at some point that, like, you know, all the cynicism didn't pay off. They actually just allowed the world to manifest that they were joking about. What's the cynicism? I don't know. I think we're a pretty, you know, cynical hmm. society. I think uh, the we, we've been joking about politics uh, since The Daily Show, and politics got worse. Yeah. So did the was it a critique, or did it just make us feel better about our decline? It just nullified us made us feel you know, better about our decline we laughed about it we didn't hurt as much just yeah. like what you know which i think proves the point that people will you know self-regulate to whatever their reality is and they'll they'll generally be about the same level of oh, that's true too, happy yeah. as you know i mean today just for an extreme example you know it's like the 75th anniversary of liberation of auschwitz and i i bet if you ask those people that survived and you know lived for decades after that you know, rate the happiness uh, of your life or the, you know, your contentness in life, I bet they'd probably be as happy or happier than the general public, even after going th through such an unimaginable, terrible experience, you know. I think there's actually some science behind that. Don't, even after a incredibly terrifying or traumatic event, people will revert back to a, um, their normal stage of whatever their traditional happiness level is i'll see if i can google that because that didn't sound yeah like lottery winners. lottery winners yeah, yeah they yeah. they aren't happy for they'll very be happy long. for a short while but they'll ultimately revert back yeah. to whatever their standard happiness was i don't think men will suffer through an undignified life i think eventually they go crazy and all right i'm, I'm going to try to bring this back to bitcoin if this kind of dystopian future happens like we're talking about i find it hard to believe that bitcoin will be a part of the government in that scenario. I think you'd have like, to have smart people leave this meetup and help the government implement that future by betraying but, the meetup. But but if but if <laughs> like somebody's got out their cell phone. Um, no. So if Bitcoin remains Bitcoin, meaning it's like decentralized and it's like provably scarce and no one can manipulate it, and it becomes sound money. And that is the Bitcoin that the government embraces. I don't see all these like terrible things like homelessness and these kinds of things happening. So I, I, I kind of feel um, 
I'm, my guess is that government will eventually embrace Bitcoin and things will get better. Like I, hate, it, I hate to be optimistic. Are those, are those but, things not happening because Bitcoiners, not those people affected, are helping them or they're helping themselves and just not being in that situation? So, so oh, go ahead. So yeah. Bitcoin comes along and the Senate starts functioning and the House of Representatives starts functioning and the federal courts start functioning. Is that your thesis? No, no, definitely not. But I think it gets a a little bit better. Like I think part part of the problems of society today is the money printing. The people that are closest to the money printing faucet get all of these benefits. There's this there's this wealth gap separation. I think the existence of Bitcoin is going to close is going to act to close the wealth gap. So it'll at least help a little bit. And I think you can both be correct and right in that maybe the political system does get way worse, but people on the whole get better because, you know, they don't have to rely on the government. Maybe just the the impact and the power of the government go- decreases. I don't know. What if people just stop taking the government so seriously? Like, like the government becomes more of like a reality TV show, you know, and everyone's just like, oh, yeah. Or, or like the royal family is in... Uh, the UK, it's more like ceremonial. It, it's not really something that people think have really practical implications. I'm intrigued by the idea that we've skipped over the third possible outcome here. Um, and that is Bitcoin does an amazing job and undermines the governments where we remove the fats and the corruption and the system collapses because the system will not work without the fats and the corruption. And as a net result, the entire economy collapses because we revert to a sound money and we don't ever recover. I mean, to, to a certain extent, the government has to steal your labor to survive, you know? And Bitcoin, you can just force them to shoot you in the head and die with your private keys in your memory. Like, you can do the That's successful... So powerful. You, you can do the successful tax protest. It wouldn't actually work, I don't think, but the threat's out there. So, I mean, there, there's another scenario where the separation of money and state actually happens. Maybe you guys think this is a very small likelihood that this would happen, but I don't think it's impossible that we as a people actually vote for a separation of money and state, or we elect a president like we were talking about last week that actually did something crazy like this. Would you rather us, here's a question, would you guys rather us kick the ball down the road and have a nice life, or would you rather things fall apart in our lifetime to see it happen? Like, we could kick it to the ball down our road and just keep this going. That's a really good question. Well, it depends on how, like, it depends on the scale of a collapse, you know. Mm. I mean, I remember in 2008 feeling like I really wanted to see it crash and burn. I was so mad when the banks got bailed out and, mm. like, I wanted to go through hard times for a couple of years just to let us rebuild. And I guess I'd still say that right now, but that would be unfair of me to say now because I have Bitcoin now. The the 2008 know, crisis is the most it, it most resembles <laughs> it most resembles the wealth transfer I hope to see with Bitcoin in that it was a wealth transfer from everyday people who all lost their homes, who lost their jobs. And instead of and people who didn't own their homes before suddenly were given them the banks, you know, the, the banks bought those homes on on fake money and suddenly they were given the actual property. So that's basically what's going to happen. It's like a, a rich person is currently in a mansion 
because they pay their fiat mortgage and then that fiat mortgage is and then fiat goes away and then someone else is living in that mansion you know it's the same except for it's going to be a the one person getting displaced in a in a sudden catastrophic event um in in whereas instead of regular people all getting forced evictions but I don't know how doable that is, whether the state is willing to collapse. Or- I'm trying to figure out how we transitioned from what do new Bitcoiners look like <laughs> to this conversation about the government. I, I, I will say a one pessimistic picture. Oh, no, it was your fault because you, you said the government was going to come out with their own with Bitcoin. A killer app. I'm going to say, one, to say one thing about this and then we can go back to Bitcoin. Like, I would be willing to sign on for a total economic collapse where Apple stock goes back to the January 2018 price of being, you know, down 50% from where it is today or 60, 70%. That would be catastrophic. And I think that would get the point across that we need to adopt Bitcoin. Hmm. I feel like Apple stock is the new measure of whether society is okay or not. And that's not okay with me. Yeah, it's. I think it's actually Tesla stock that's. It's more aggressively wrong. Um, but let's go, let's go back to the original topic, the 2020 uh, Bitcoin. I think that one of the biggest things is if you came into Bitcoin any time in the previous decade, you heard about Bitcoin for the first time pretty much and came in. Like you didn't. No one. There wasn't a buzz around it. You heard about it. You looked into it and you got into it. Whereas the people coming in now heard about it, chose not to get into it heard about it, chose not to get into it, knew it existed, weren't particularly interested in it, and now they're finally going to do it for the first time. So that's the real, the the experience has been, I haven't gotten into it until now, and I finally am in the year 2020. It might even have, it might have to be younger people, because some people have probably already formed their opinions on Bitcoin and, and spoken about their opinions publicly, and they're kind of, you know, entrenched in these opinions now and don't want to change them. Do you think that might be a thing? Yeah, I think so. I think like the the people at our age, they've heard about it. Anybody that was watching the news, paid attention to anything, heard about it in the 2017 run up. So I, I haven't even really talked to to my non-Bitcoiner friends about their opinion of Ever it. Ever you stopped talking to them? Yeah, just completely. It's like, <laughs> oh, you're dead to me. <laughs> no, but it's just, it's just one of those things I think we talked previously about um, – I'm not evangelizing Bitcoin anymore. I'm just kind of giving up on that. It's it's, it's the thing I, I think you find when you're ready to understand. And until then, uh, it's just it's going to fall on deaf ears. Um, but a, a question to you guys. Let's say, okay, you're talking about people coming in in, in 2020, 21, and beyond. Uh, with the tools that we have now, say a normie comes to you, says, hey, I want to get into Bitcoin. How, what is it going to look – what would you tell them today – or you anticipate telling them in the future based on what's being developed that's different than what you'd have told them in 2017 as far as coming in, whether it be exchanges, whether it be the, the pros and cons or the outlook, anything in that, in that arena. Hmm. Yeah, make sure I'm understanding the question. What are we telling people that are coming into Bitcoin now? What were you telling people in 2017 that you're not going to tell them now? So I think that what we do need to tell people that are coming in now is that there's no more Bitcoin left. Um, <laughs> And that they missed the boat. And the only way to get Bitcoin now is... Um, to buy a cheaper one. Is, <laughs> oh, no. is to buy BSV. Um, no, I, I think that that 
like to, to your point, and I think the, the underlying sentiments of the question is that we've got a group of people that are not going to be able to stumble into Bitcoin as a social movement um, or as something that's interesting and novel. We are going to have to overcome an educational hurdle that people are going to have to choose this because they've discovered that it's a better money moving forward. And I think that's a much higher burden. And I think the next wave of Bitcoiners, I think there's going to be fewer of them. But where they do come in, they're going to be more fervent and more religious and more zealous about Bitcoin because they're going to have stumbled upon it on their own by having their blinders removed by them and them alone. You, you can't, I don't think it's worthwhile talking to people about Bitcoin anymore. I think they have to stumble upon it themselves and educate themselves. Yeah, that was by far the biggest takeaway that I had from 2017 was that you cannot convince people to be interested. You know, it's just impossible. And all it does is uh, turn them off and make you, make them think that you're like shilling it somehow or that you're trying to like scam them, you know, personally or something. And it just doesn't do any good. And you just like, for instance, I had a family member over the holidays, you know, tell me, oh, yeah, you know, I'm planning on buying some Bitcoin here soon. And I said, cool, you know, when you're ready, let me know and I'll help you. And like, you know, don't I'm not going to bring it up, you know, and until the the person comes to me because I like maybe he maybe he would actually you know buy some uh, if I pestered him about it. But that's not going to help him, you know. The next thirty percent dip we have is going to panic sell because it's not his decision to buy it. It's my decision imposed on him. Now, if we do get the flood of noobs and somehow they do become the majority holders, is that can we can Bitcoin survive? Should we just be the people who run things behind the scenes that they don't even know what we're up to? Can we can like if, a one percent super intelligent minority like like a like an Illuminati of Bitcoin just control yeah, that's, it. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. If they became the majority holders, the amount of transfer that would have to happen to make that happen would send Bitcoin to probably a million dollars. Because you're talking about all these new people buying and all these hodlers selling. And that would. Yeah. So I, I don't think that's like a realistic If that scenario. were the case, yeah. though, yes, Bitcoin <laughs> would be screwed because they would all panic sell immediately. Right. But I don't think that would happen without it going to seriously a million dollars. Yeah. So, let, I mean, let's say it does get to a million. I mean, aren't we eventually going to lose control of Bitcoin as far as no one will believe us about how to use Bitcoin? They're like, I've had Bitcoin for a couple of years. Why would I listen to you, nerd? You know, I've been buying drugs with Bitcoin for like, I know how to use Bitcoin. I don't need to hear you talk about your nodes. But can we still survive that sort of ignorance as a general populace? that everyone's using Bitcoin and they don't care about it, can we still maintain the protocol ourselves? Because, like, no one else is running notes. Well, no one else is updating the software. Yes. It's you, not that... You, you, you can, yes. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to save them. You know, you will you will be secure and you'll actually know that you own your Bitcoin, but, but they won't. And at some point, they're going to get wrecked. You think so? You don't yeah. think you don't think it's just like Linux suddenly getting mainstream adoption? Like it's not that important how how it works behind the scenes. Everyone's just kind of enjoying it. Because eventually, it, it eventually, if there's not people enforcing the rules, the rules will become corrupted. You know. Yeah, I mean, people definitely have to run nodes. So I guess you're talking about the new people that are coming in that aren't interested in running nodes. 
and they're just kind of interested in having Bitcoin on Cash App. By the way, I don't think these people would be the ones buying drugs because to buy drugs with Bitcoin, you actually kind of have to know what you're doing and kind of own your own private keys. But maybe this is um, some motivation for why we need more exit scams in this space. Um, honestly, I've been kind of you know, sad at the lack of exit scams in Bitcoin, but exit scams are important for teaching people to own their own keys. Maybe we could just publicize exit scams and then we could all get on Twitter and say, oh my gosh, I had so much Bitcoin on this exchange. And now like just make up some character like, like, uh, Marty McSlurm. (laughs) Marty McSlurm. (laughs) Sorry, I feel like I got us off topic with that exit scam stuff. No, we're, yeah, we're, we're requesting all exit scam sponsors right now. Come on in. I, I just feel like the new user has heard about Bitcoin. They've never needed it before because they've never thought about being a major investor. And they've never needed to buy drugs before. So that's why this is the first time. Like, What's going to push them over the edge? Is it still just a price thing? I, um, I'm not sure that this new user is all that significant of a factor one of the things we haven't talked about is the new um, institutional investor, which I think is probably more important than the new kind of, uh, what do they call that? Like um, just average everyday user. Yeah, the the new retail Bitcoin consumer, I think, is less important than the new investment consumer. What, so what, what do you envision this looking like in an institutional consumer? I don't know. I just thought of it. You just mean a hedge fund buying Bitcoin? Well, I think uh, university that's a good endowments. question. Like, yeah, like university endowments. That's a great one. Like, so Yale and Harvard did it a couple of years ago, right? But now, you know, there's the new class of university endowments. So Duke and UNC. University of Phoenix. University so, I mean, Phoenix. The, the way institutional adoption actually looks is, is you, you're a rich person. And you're going to give a couple hundred thousand dollars to a particular hedge fund to invest for you. And then that hedge fund decides what they're going to invest in. And then, you know, thousands of rich people each give a couple hundred thousand dollars to this hedge fund. And then, you know, maybe five people make the decision on whether to buy Bitcoin or not. So you've taken this time. Do you think of that's money. changing? Like those hedge funds, like the amount that they're going to allocate towards Bitcoin? Do you think that that's. That well, the, changing or no? Here's what I'm getting at: is that they you started out with all these rich people, but they're not actually managing their own money. They're ha- they're having someone else manage their money, right. and it's only okay. Institutional investment is just conver- converting about five thousand people in the world into bitcoiners. Is what I'm saying. I I got you. It's actually a small group of people that matter so well, you're they, saying that the the individual retail investor is actually more important for the kind of like adoption of bitcoin as a social movement yeah but i also just to keep in mind that institutional adoption is is just getting a very small group of people in a very specific field of managing other people's money to invest the world's money into this new coin it's um you're just convincing a single profession to start buying bitcoin the but what matters more? Is it the yeah. number of people or the amount of capital coming in? Because I, th- I think retail money follows, quote unquote, smart money. You know, it's like usually institutions are earlier into different sectors and technologies because that's, they're paid to think that way. And then, you know, your mom and dad are buying Apple stock 
10, 15 years after, you know, the real money was to be made. Yeah. And so that's just how it seems to, to go. The average person follows where the smart money is going. So maybe we need those 5,000 people first and then the number go up and then the retail is more motivated to allocate some in. What I find interesting about this is it creates this, I, I forget the word for it, but the fact that the people who are making the decision are making the decision about how someone else's money is spent creates an odd incentive structure that the people that are invested in Bitcoin haven't made the decision to invest in Bitcoin. They've given that, that decision to somebody else. And I just think it's something that isn't thought about very much, especially how just completely disinterested the, the person that's, that makes this decision is it's this or healthcare, it's this or energy stocks. Like, and it's just 5,000 of these people. But do you, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I think that that is becoming, that people are becoming less interested in what they're investing in. I feel like people are becoming more interested in what they're invested well, in. Yeah, maybe to, to, to counter, I, I actually do agree with you, but just to counter that, uh, like I would say a big reason why, you know, the Pennsylvania State Teachers uh, Pension Fund hasn't bought any bitcoin is because you know nobody got fired for for using ibm you know like if bitcoin if you put a quarter of a percent into bitcoin from the state teachers pension fund and bitcoin goes down five percent like you've just totally screwed yourself and you're going to get fired so maybe for those people to actually make the decision to allocate to bitcoin they have to actually convince their lps to some extent that it's a good decision and that it's in their fiduciary duty to do it. So maybe those 5,000 are actually turned into the new evangelists to, cause they got to save their own asses in case it doesn't work out. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. That, that's all definitely true that there's only a certain appetite for a risk of certain investment. People like a teacher's retirement fund is going to be, have a much less of a risk appetite than, than another one. And you, you, they advertise, you know, they, the way they get you to decide where to put your money is by just like toothpaste, give you every possible scenario. Like, do you want slow growth over the next 10 years? Do you want fast growth over the next 12 months? You know, I would like extreme growth over the next seven days. Thanks. Someone might be able to give you that, you know? <laughs> My mind keeps on going back to the Cash App's decision to put Bitcoin in the same category as stocks. And I, I always think about new people looking at the Cash App and they can select their different tabs and one of their tabs is you know banking and then like the 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 tab on the right is just got this chart going up and when you click on the tab on the right then you select either stocks or bitcoin and it's like i th i see the the new person coming into bitcoin being that kind of person that just thinks of bitcoin as very similar to investing in stocks because it's on the cash app you just move your money here or you just move your money there i mean what's what do you get out of investing in stock besides number go up that's it right if anything stocks are just a, a, a big version of bitcoin with no ideology and no purpose you know it's just a number yeah. go up do you, do you really care that there's going to be more folding chairs but yeah you get I, I think a big thing about what people get is they they buy stocks they know that's like we were just talking about Apple. Like everybody knows Apple and everybody sort of likes Apple. So people buy Apple stock. You know, like you don't know, you know, 
Burlington Northern Railway. Like, nobody knows who the heck these railroads are, you know. So, like, Warren Buffett buys that company, but retail people don't. Yeah, if, what, what I was trying to get at earlier with this, um, the wrong people are controlling the money, is if we're if institutional adoption is the next step in Bitcoin, Bitcoin is doing it all wrong. They're not even putting a serious effort. Like, it's totally amateurish. You're not even in the room with the people convincing convincing the right people to buy Bitcoin. It's these 5,000 people. Well, that's because we don't have a marketing department. Yeah. <laughs> we are the marketing department. So oh, I, so we're doing a bad I job. I have a proposal as the marketing department. Uh, the lead chair for um, this propaganda piece I've been working on is I think we need to start with a campaign that requires people that want to buy Bitcoin to pass some kind of IQ test. Um, but it doesn't matter what their actual score is. We just need them to take the test. They could do this when they're required to turn in their the KYC stuff. Their, their cash, right? Yeah. So yeah. you you sign up, you take the test. Um, either way, whatever you get, you get told you did great. You you've made a smart decision. It's positive reinforcement. Uh, like PR, I think it was PRJ or some some classical conditioning scheme where we just reinforce that they've made an excellent. Uh, yes, yeah, Skinner, there we go. Uh, absolutely condition them towards making smart decisions. You've done a great job. And if they want to move it, the app just lets them know they're going to answer like a, uh, another question. Just keep reinforcing that positive behavior. They want to sell, let them answer a question. It's wrong. Make them feel bad about the decision. <laughs> and just keep reinforcing through positive and negative reinforcements these, these, the, the, the ideals that we want for them. I think it's. I think the best psyop missions that the U.S. has ever undertaken started with this. You got to start training the public. I like how just good-hearted that idea is. Just Bitcoin shot caller. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we need. That's that's all I heard right there. Woof. Yes, the honey badger, the sound money badger, would be all about promoting the Bitcoin shot caller. I'm trying to think of other qualities of the new person walking in to bitcoin today i mean i i worry about it a little bit that what well, one thing i agree with you on is i was sold on the person-to-person transfer like direct from me to my friend without going through an institution that was a selling point for us back in the day that is still a selling point but it doesn't feel like a selling point because of venmo because people feel like they are sending money directly to their friends now. So that's not going to be a selling point. So I don't know. I mean, a lot of it's going to be number go up. Um, but maybe there's something about censorship and something about freedom money and something about, you know, removing the middleman that will take hold again. I don't know. Yeah, I think there is a there's also a, a generational aspect of it in that you have to come into a age where you can earn money and that cycle is like a new group of people every 4 years they haven't seen a hype cycle and before that they weren't making money. I don't know what the new young people who are either starting to make high, high school jobs or graduating to college like if, are they as prone to join Bitcoin as they were 5 years ago or not. I think in the future in general, outside of Bitcoin, privacy is going to be a big deal. Um, personal privacy and data, it, or, I mean, identity, privacy, uh, data security. And it'll be interesting whenever we do come to that point in Bitcoin and privacy is really incorporated into it. Uh, what kind of regulations we'll see, but also that could be kind of a turning point 
in the younger generation uh, or all generations, who knows, and being that thing that's okay, let me let me see what Bitcoin offers. I think there'll have to be some other things to happen in society. Maybe it'll be the elimination of cash when people finally realize that that's happening. But I, I could see that being a powerful force for the for the new person. Privacy may be more important than the sound aspects of Bitcoin. Do you think privacy might end up being something that the elite have? I guess it already is sort of like that right now. But do you think that's going to take off even more? Like the, the average middle class person has no expectation of privacy and kind of hates that and kind of hates the rich person that has privacy and Bitcoin is, is a part of that dichotomy somehow? Well, I could sort of see that happening, but I look around and rich people love Alexa, man. Oh, that's true, too. I mean, yeah. And that yeah. That, that makes me very bearish on that concept. I think uh, the employment process will become more and more degrading as far as proving you you deserve a job and the loss of privacy there and the expectation of opening up all your social media and don't have opinions outside of work that people know about publicly, that sort of thing. Do you have opinions outside of work that... <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff Bezos is like currently like trying to you know fire employees about that, and you know. Yeah, I've definitely hired uh, hired people based on what I've seen on social media, and I've definitely not hired people based on what I've seen on social media. And if we're looking to hire someone that's a marketing director, we want to see that they're social. And if someone is being hired for another position, and they've got crazy shit all over their Facebook, you probably don't want that. Um, I, I think that there is a benefit as to an employer to be able to see that and avoid a potential issue but i think on the whole it's not a good thing yeah i mean i think we could easily move to a one-party system by that sort of forced social media exposure where businesses you know the supreme court will validate of course you don't have to fight you can fire anyone based on their political affiliations and then just fire everybody who didn't join the fascist party that'll probably be how it'll go down five to four right now fascism when it comes to, um, as you said, rich people like to use uh, Alexa and, and that kind of thing, I, I, I agree. And I, but I think the issue is there's been no consequence, noticeable, visible consequence of Alexa or similar technology. You know, it would be interesting to know, rich people, did they mind living in close proximity to their neighbors until the riffraff started coming in and, and, and infecting their lives? Now they like the gated communities, so they like their privacy. Now, what are the consequences of this Alexa technology and if it does pose some kind of inconvenience or damage to their life, then that's when privacy will become more important. Until <laughs> until something happens negatively, everybody thinks technology is great. But when it changes, oh, genetic engineering, fantastic. But but who knows? Clones or any kind of viruses are engineered or whatever. Then that's when people start to reel it in. It's only after the fact that consequences are arise yeah i could easily see in the future people just kind of going paranoid and crazy because they're like why they just will never get hired for another job again because alexa and google have decided that you're a bad candidate and that was that and the computer has decided now i'm starting to think that there's going to be two societies that kind of diverge from one another because this society that's fine with alexa and fine with everything being recorded they're slowly going to start self-censoring in a way, and they're not going to have as creative of thoughts. And then 
there's going to be this other group that does care about privacy. And I think that's going to allow creativity. That's going to allow that community to be more successful. Do you feel that there's already self-censorship when you just are talking to someone with a cell phone in their hand? I'm not sure if I should answer how I think because I'm worried about how someone might interpret. No, I was trying to make a joke, but yeah. So no, have you hired an appropriate had, answer? Have you hired someone that had a podcast? Uh, no, or that, that would was be on a podcast. <laughs> that would be insanity. Yeah, don't ever do that. No, um, I I find myself often questioning um, in a in a conversational. Um, today I met with a client um, who was holding his cell phone. Um, and he put it down the desk and I saw he was reading from a list, but even with the cell phone in his hand, knowing that he originally had a list, um, it made me, I'm pretty cautious with my words in the office, which I think is why I'm such a savage here sometimes, but, um, (laughs) it made me exceptionally nervous, uh, because every smart device has a camera and has a microphone and, um, not that I have a problem with people recording me during a consult, but you know, it's, um, People can be strange with information. People can get upset about the strangest things. But no, I find um, self-regulation or self-censorship with with anyone that holds a cell phone in a visible location, even if it's in the the breast pocket, automatically uh, cautious around it. Self-censorship is when an adult goes back to being a child. It's why everybody loves Star Wars so much. It's because we're putting on these extra layers of go, no, behave. Society's still watching you. We want you to fake this way when, you know, clean your room, do this, even though you're an adult. And, you know, it's caused this massive regression and it's kind of terrible. Are you saying that some of us secretly like that childlike aspect of self-censoring? I think they, um, so I, uh, I just think we have a, a child cult worship going on right now. Greta Thornburg's going to save the world. Uh, let's enjoy, you know, I remember when everyone was really into... Uh, the Hunger Games girl, and we've now the Hunger Games girl. That was an idiotic idea. Oh, now we're actually doing it, Greta Thunberg. We're actually doing it. Okay, <laughs> that yeah. Thank thanks, Are adults. We doing it? You fucking idiots. <laughs> I'm not even sure I followed that completely, but I'm still laughing. No, and no, smiling. no. Well, uh, Cadness, Cadness Everdeen. Okay, it's like oh, a, a little girl is going to come and save us all, and we used to realize that's an idiotic fantasy. And now we're actually watching it play out before our eyes, and we're thinking it's actually happening. <laughs> yeah. Know? Okay. I see where you're going with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's been—it's the theme of all the Disney movies: is kids are going to save the world, yeah. or that we're all going to, you know, get—we're all going to get together with Batman and Superman and rush them at once, guys. Do you think <laughs> the Greta, whatever her last name is, works for Disney? Um, or at no. least the Fox subsidiary, because. Yeah, I don't know. You think she's controlled opposition, or what's your what's your? Oh, I don't know anything about her. I don't even know what her last name was. I mean, I've I've seen her in the news. I could probably point her out in a picture, but uh, I mean, just thinking through to the logical conclusion, and I don't necessarily agree or disagree, but just taking what you're saying to a logical conclusion, if that is the case, then that is controlled opposition. You know, someone's got to be promoting that for a specific purpose. I think that's the logical conclusion of what you're suggesting, right? Um, no, I, no, I think it's just that we placed our hopes in ridiculous ideas, like a kid's going to save the world. Like that's no longer obviously a crazy idea. Um, it used to be a crazy idea to have to, you know, to have an actor become president. And then it was a crazy idea to become, have a reality star become president. 
you know, the, the world is just getting dumber if you kind of take a step back and look at it. And, uh, or it's going to work out fine. <laughs> With, uh, on the self-censorship stuff is, uh, you know, the reason why you have to self-censor is because you have the thought and then you don't, you know, you self-censor because you had the thought. What's the, you think there's any relation to like using Bitcoin and self-censorship? Like you've, you have the no. thought <laughs> no. of like, I want to be, you know, private. And instead of censoring, you just, you know, you buy Bitcoin and then do what you were going to do anyways. I think Bitcoin, like you, it gives you the power to stop being private because you can actually have some sovereignty over your own life. You don't need to hide yourself to be able to survive if you actually like get into Bitcoin. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure if this answers your question or not, but I'm starting to think of, you know, we, we differentiate now between being in public and being in private. You know, that was kind of the, the way we differentiate. Like you go into the grocery store, you know, you consider yourself being in public, whereas at home you're in private. But now it feels like something's changing where it might be even though we're at home, we feel like we're in public in a sense. But then we have things like Bitcoin, which are like extremely private. All of a sudden, I'm thinking of how sad it is if my Bitcoin private keys are my only sense of privacy. <laughs> but but maybe something could grow from that. Like there's this there's this one area where my Bitcoin private keys live that is my kind of like source of privacy. Within vote. I guess on the boat, man. I mean, now that I'm saying this, this isn't sounding great, but I don't know. I just think the what's public and what's private, I think, is just changing because of electronics. I got a crazy thought experiment for you guys, and I think about this maybe way too much. Um, where would you go if you had to ensure that you had an uninterrupted 48-hour period? No human interaction for 48 hours. Accidental intentional you just you just got to be in a place to avoid other humans oh not avoid capture just avoid just, just people don't interact actually i do have a nice idea for this um there are cargo ships that go across the atlantic and you can actually pay to uh just be a passenger on, on one of these ships and you have to like help out with the crew and stuff but you would have to interact with people to you'd do have that. to interact with that crew okay, so, yeah but this is the, but that's a great solution yeah so where do you go Right now, if you want to avoid any human interaction for 48 hours. Hmm, um, no idea. I don't think there's a place you can go. I mean, well, my you, apartment's pretty land, good. You can go there. You can go sit in the woods yeah, if you for got 48 hours. Yeah. You could go to my apartment and text every girl I know to come over and you'll be alone <laughs> for... Uh, this is a great strategy. Hours. I was thinking something along these lines. <laughs> you, that's, is, are you, you suggesting that it's a, a repulsion strategy? Is that what you're, <laughs> you're suggesting? The, yeah, there's a place. It's a, a trap. People will avoid it, and you just go and hide in it. <laughs> like a van that's got free candy written exactly. on the side. Yeah, like the, the Hummer dealership. <laughs> that's funny for so many reasons. <laughs> It's definitely harder to be alone, for sure. Uh, what about uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson? Or wait, his is that who we were talking over. about? His mom's <laughs> coming over to do his laundry. Get your back straight. Well, I think one of the problems is that 
do we have like interpersonal communication that's considered private that can be done digitally like that we don't have many vectors that aren't somewhat public yeah so i think have you heard of this thing called urbit that some bitcoiners are working on it's this run your own node private key version of a different another kind of internet it's it's kind of like tor but it's it's kind of like this private kind of communications internet thing i'm just i don't understand it i don't understand it either there was a guy at the sunday meetup who i think is working on that we need to get him to come the Sunday morning church meetup? Or? Not this last one, but the one before that. He oh, came really? briefly. Was anyone there? Jason got the, his information. Yeah, the rando yeah. that just happened. Wasn't he talking about he this? Did, he did, yeah, but he didn't attend the meetup. But yeah, he, he was working on that. We need to get this guy to come to something. So, uh, yeah, but, sure. But the Sunday meetup isn't advertised. It's for the truly committed brethren. How <laughs> does he know? It, re- it reveals itself to you. Gotcha. <laughs> Oh. Government's definitely listening. I don't. Know. I, when I think about the people that have the least self censorship, I think about people like the guy that just comes to mind is like Joe Rogan. You know, the guy he's like he talks to tons of people and he just says what's on his mind and like everybody loves the guy. You know, and he probably he would probably say you know whatever was on his mind regardless of if he was rich and famous and popular. But um, <clears throat> but I just I, I think about. You know, it's kind of like a bifurcated thing where the if you're, you know, rich, famous guy, Joe Rogan, like you can just say, screw it and I'll be myself and say what I think. And people don't mind. Or if you're poor, crazy person on the street, you can do that. And people just think you're crazy person on the street and don't mind. But it's all the people in the middle. They get caught up in it. And I think that's that's, you know, if Bitcoin can can continue to prove a use case for serving those people and help them to not self-censor. I think we're doing pretty good. If you're a rich person in the creative realm, or I, I'd agree with like, that. Yeah, like if you have true, like basically if you have like autonomy. Autonomy, you started your own business. Employee, yeah. yeah. Or, but if you're like the CEO of a corporation or something, you can't speak freely. You know, you'd have to be, you have to you, m- make your own money. Yeah, you've got to be self made, you know, in a an way. equity holder. Like, you Guys, might be CEO, but you don't own Jack and Equity. Yeah. Guys, like, isn't capitalism great? It delivered all these freedoms for us. <laughs> for our, our CEOs, they're making so much money and they have so much freedom of speech. These things go very well together. I can definitely say that I have been a lot more, felt a lot more free to say what I want since I've been a Bitcoiner. Like for sure. So maybe this is one way that it'll play out is that Bitcoiners will just become more and more wealthy and more and more free to say what they want. And then we'll just dominate the airwaves because we're the ones that aren't afraid to say like, we're just like, come at me, bro. I think you that know? I think that is the case. That's how I felt like on Bitcoin. Yeah. I do feel like there's, there's a difference, though, between saying what you want and and just in meat space conversations versus online because i mean depending on your situation if you are employed by someone things can just go crazy if 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 something you tweet or post online is misinterpreted or it's just it it is uh it it is not politically correct to say and and the backlash is warranted i mean it can ruin your life i mean there was that one girl or woman who was like a marketing person. I don't know how many years ago she was going to Africa or taking a transatlantic trip. And she said she yeah. made some joke about AIDS in Africa 
and she didn't have Wi-Fi for 12 hours. And by the time she came back, she had just gone viral and her whole life was wrecked. She lost her job. She was on the headline news, not the headline, but, you know, CNN and stuff about all this. And I know for me, I definitely censor whatever whatever I say on Twitter and Facebook and everything else um, just because it it's not worth the potential backlash or potential misinterpretation. And I'm a nobody, right? Mm. I mean, I have no kind of presence whatsoever online. And and then in the future, you know, these people going back five years to look at your previous tweets. And that's why we have people who are deleting their tweets. uh, uh, I don't know. They have them online for a year, six months, and they delete everything just because there's this going back into someone's past. Um, but I would agree with you that in, in one-on-one interactions and in groups, I'm totally fine saying what I believe because I think just in general, uh, Bitcoiners can be contrarians by nature. I mean, that's one reason people get in earlier. You're not going to – obviously, you didn't follow the masses coming in. So, But when it comes to engaging with the public at large, yeah, I definitely still self-censor. I mean, the real problem is that um, rich people don't care about their employees' freedom at all. You know, they don't care if you have freedom at home or they don't don't want you to have freedom in the workplace. Uh, So it creates a problem because the more that employer creep goes outside of the workplace into your life, it becomes a 24 seven thing. We'll all be really screwed because, you know, we hype up capitalism and it's good when it's not crony capitalism, but it's never not been crony capitalism. So I think we have, need to be realistic that like Bitcoin is pure, but the economy isn't. The economy is a mess. The economy is a sick joke of contracts. And um, I don't know. I think we, we have to push back in, in, especially in the employment arena. I think that's really the only attack vector. Your, your family will protect you. Your friends will protect you. The only real danger to your freedom is the fact that we've all been forced into these con- contractual agreements with our employers. I think it's... Um, so weird when people have to differentiate whether they're speaking as an employee of their company or they're speaking as an individual. Yeah. Does anybody else just get really like creeped out by that? Yeah, nobody like, ever says like, you know, tweets are not my brother's opinion. It's like, of course they're not your brother's opinion. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, why do we have to specify when we're speaking as an individual and when we're speaking on the behalf of the company. Actually, do you know, like, don't, don't, doesn't this There's, become a legal thing? Yeah, it's called respondeant superior. So are you required at all times to say whether you are speaking on behalf of your company or as a person? So while I am speaking for my company, <laughs> right now, question, um, <laughs> this is no, <laughs> no, I think it's, um, it's just best practices. It's a safe thing to do. Um, so there's That's this crazy though. It makes us like, like, um, like, okay, I'm a, I'm a real person right now. And, and now I'm a fake person. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it, well, but it's no, like, it's words. standard contract language though. You know, in the contract, it says like, you know, you are here by, you know, you represent that you are authorized from your company to enter into this contract. Yeah. So you are, you're speaking on behalf of your master. That's where the language comes from. Um, where one is an employee we draw from common law language where there was a master and a slave um, or master and a servant is probably more appropriate uh, or serf servants, if, if you allow me to use those terms. Um, so where a master would send a servant to the market to go and buy a bushel of apples, 
you would be authorized to enter into an account or purchase those apples without exchanging any money and take those apples back to the farm and bake all the apple pie you were going to make that day for the for the master. Uh, but the master would be beholden to that contract because it was presumed based on the apparent authority that you are working on behalf of this person that you had authority to bind them to contract. Okay. So it actually places a lot of authority in the servant's hands to bind the master to a deal that could then allow the apple seller to come back to the master and be like, hey, MFR, you know, you're, you're, you're. Steve the servant came and sold us. Uh, came Steve and bought, the servant. Yes, the servant. It came and got got these apples, and he said he was gonna um, gonna use them for for your apple pie. Um, where's my doll hairs at? Where's where's my dollars at? Um, pay up. What did you do with those apples? Oh yeah, I ate the apple pie. Well, so that's where it started. That servant was kind of speaking on behalf of yeah. the master. So and- you're dealing with uh, actual and apparent authority. Um, so this is a really, really complicated area of law. Uh, in fact, it causes a lot of businesses to get in trouble. The wizards and, get very confused about this one in their robes, guys. The wizards? The wizards with your uh, magical words, but they sometimes they figure out what the words mean. Partially <laughs> <laughs> a true story. Um, but, but it gets really complicated in the sense that, let's say you're a corporate officer, and um, you run a really sexy Twitter account, and you've got 100,000 followers. Um, you want to be darn certain that the tweets that you make are not tweets on behalf of your new sexy startup. Um, so you put something like the tweets of my own and are not the opinions of ABC, XYZ, you know, sucks for frogs, dot com, Inc. It, you just want to be able to separate yourself because your words could bind your corporation. And if there isn't a separation, someone could... Uh, propose or suggest that you were doing something or saying something with apparent authority i guess basically what it comes down i guess maybe if there's a good part of this it's encouraging people to enter into businesses that are more in line with their personalities in the first place i guess you're a very optimistic person (laughs) (laughs) i would have (laughs) i would have concentrated on how we're going to just send into serfdom you know (laughs) this is the cycle like going back towards the towards the mean regressing (laughs) we've had too much freedom for a while and we're still on the downward trend there is a lot of there's a lot about this that puts a lot of authority in the servant's hands let's say you were working for a corporation and your job to buy i don't know pencils if you really wanted to put a hurting on your corporation and you had authority to make pencil purchases you could bankrupt your corporation by making a billion dollar pencil purchase and the company would be beholden for that contract because you had an actual or apparent authority that is i think an excellent way to disrupt the economy this is the most self-serving thing i'll ever say on this podcast everyone who has yeah pnl exposure just go buy a bunch of bitcoin with your corporate treasury is that what you're saying oh no i was suggesting that if you really want to damage the economy and just um uh, self-serving the sense that would create a lot of lawsuits don't damage help man well sure help lawyers make money um if you have any purchasing authority go and encumber your corporation with as much contractual debts or as many as many contracts (laughs) you could possibly sign before you're caught so you'd like be a hero though if you just bought bitcoin yeah but you know you would be a god amongst men but 
but also those contracts would be effective. And, um, but let's say if, if this was like a some kind of wave attack against the economy and you really wanted to just cause people because thing about litigation is that it takes forever and nothing really gets solved until you're year and a half two years three years five years into the process if you have all of the people that are in middle and lower management start making these massive and ridiculous purchases with other corporations and and so much so that everyone's executing these crazy ass contracts you would force the entire economy into litigation grinding it to a halt and and only the lawyers would i promise i will buy bitcoin with the money only the only you know applicable purchases can be pencils or bitcoin that's it bitcoin yeah that's that's pretty common knowledge that that's the only way to attack the economy yeah if you want to crash things pencils you want to help things bitcoin I think there is a lot of this uh, people taking out corporate debt in order to buy Bitcoin. I bet there is a lot of this really happening right now. But the 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 analogy, like going from people, you know, buying things for their company, speaking for their master or whatever, going from that to just someone talking on Twitter or someone just posting a YouTube comment as questioning whether that's speaking for their corporation or not. I don't know. I feel like those things it's are It's more very about a different. totalitarian control of your life than whatever apocryphal nonsense we just hear Jared spat out to justify tweet censoring people as tweets. <laughs> I got to I got to change the subject here. Okay. I think we're due for a subject change. I just got a tweet from a or not a tweet, uh, a text from a buddy and I'm just going to read it to you verbatim and it's I hope it's your buddy just, doesn't listen to the podcast. Well, he might I'll send him this one. He can listen. It says, you know what drives me crazy? Two years ago, I told my dad to buy Bitcoin. He bought Litecoin because it was cheaper. And then facepalm emoji. Yeah, Is well, that my brother? Is, is like, are you texting yeah, with my brother? Because that's my no, father we're no. talking about. Is that Jim? Is, did it <laughs> yeah. Just, did all season just start, guys? Is that what that tweet <laughs> or that text signifies? No. Is it is it Litecoin season for the, for the newbies? What is it about a certain class of people that absolutely love Litecoin? I think they the, just love cheap shit. No, d- yeah. But I mean, they don't love Tron. They specifically love Litecoin because it's on Coinbase. It's so it's on Coinbase, so it adds automatic legitimacy. But there's a concept we haven't Something brought up else, in a man. while in this podcast, and it goes back to the original throwback Monday nights at Starbucks with like the the TV screen. Integer bias. Integer bias. That yeah. oh, I'm gonna buy. I'm not gonna yeah. buy one Tron. That ain't worth nothing. I'm gonna buy one Litecoin because it's priced around what silver's price. Silver's legitimate because Litecoin is uh, silver to Bitcoin's gold. Everybody that's knows true. that. Come yeah. at me, bro. Um, like that's that's just the reality of how people perceive value. Well, I, I, I don't want to buy a Bitcoin because I can't own a whole one. Right. I, this, it's nice. I don't know. This was something that I I typed it out. I actually did typed the message on the telegram group but i didn't send it because i thought it was stupid and Dude, it had just some holes send those, in it. man i always like your uh oh, your telegram most of us send text. our stupid stuff into the telegram yeah. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, I send lulls and gifs on no, it i have self-censored a, t- a lot this week oh. uh, so, such gems we missed out on but the concept was that you know we should stop pricing bitcoin in dollars and just price it as a percent of total in bitcoin no no price like bitcoin in say, bitcoin yeah, instead of pricing Bitcoin in dollars, you know, 9000 per Bitcoin, you price it in, you know, okay, this is one twenty-one millionth of the total, you know. So today it'll cost you, you know, 
eighteen thousand dollars to buy, uh, you know, one ten millionth of the total. You know, two point one Bitcoin or something. So, how much one Bitcoin costs in terms of percentage of the Bitcoin? Yeah. Like, so you say it'll. The, the sentence would read: Today it will cost. Uh, Twenty thousand dollars to buy one millionth of the supply. Oh, I think we've gotten very okay. far away from why people like integer bias, and uh. it's not because of ridiculous fractions. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, <laughs> but and, and that's that's one of the reasons why I deleted the post because it's not that great of an idea. But, but I appreciate. It. I thought you were onto something for a while. I almost bought in, but I. But <laughs> it, it it reinforces a couple of points. Yeah. One is that if your coin doesn't have a limited supply, i.e., Ethereum, you can't price things this way. You know, you, oh, I like that. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you say, well, okay, so it's I'm buying one one millionth. You're like, well, you're buying one one millionth of the twenty fifty supply. So, so one out of twenty one million is a bitcoin, right? Right. So we just need, but so a satoshi is just one of these units, right? Yeah. You're, you're proposing something in between a bitcoin and a satoshi becomes mainstream, or? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm saying base it on like. You know, a decimal system of like, okay, you bought, oh, okay, I own one one hundred millionth of the total, or oh, you know, I own one ten millionth or one one millionth, or like. I really like this so, idea. So Satoshi is yeah, really a, a variable idea. that represents a specific fraction, but it's easier than stating that fraction to just call yeah. it a Satoshi because it's such a crazy huge number. Yeah. So a, uh, one Bitcoin is a hundred million Satoshis, and then we've got right. twenty one million Bitcoins. So one Satoshi would be uh, like one divided by ten to the ten to the sixteen or something like that in yeah. terms of a percentage. You guys impressed by that? Right. I just did but that. That's called a bulbasaur. What? What yeah. you call me? And, like we've got to give them cool names. Like that. And so like oh yeah. And then and then you right, have so like, Charizard is like uh, and. Uh, the, it, to the fifteenth power and then to the fourteenth power, yeah. it'll make, we just need to give them good. Well, it names. sounds awkward to say, "Oh yeah, I just bought you know you one know ten millionth of the supply today." In, I bought a bubble salt today. We need something like the like millibits, like the millimeter system, where it's kind of obvious the cent, the mill, like what's happening, yeah. so you know what the next unit is a before someone's even trade you. Would make that idea a whole lot more manageable. I think that's also what was made uh, lightning successful. So people started referring to Bitcoin in Sats. Yeah, and and just to use yeah. the Litecoin example, you know, Litecoin has four times as many coins, which is why it's one reason why it's cheaper than Bitcoin. But if you if you say like, oh well, you know, oh, you know it, it costs like, oh, I I can buy one millionth of the supply of Bitcoin, or I could buy one millionth of the supply of so, Litecoin. So you're talking about a unit that is not a Bitcoin unit. You're talking a cryptocurrency unit. So you could apply this unit to any currency. Yeah, I like this I a like lot. Yeah, because yeah. in every unit, it's priced in terms of the total supply. Yeah, that way it would, one, reveal whether this supply is actually capped or not, like with Ethereum, because... You just can't price it because there's no total. Oh, I really like this idea. Yeah, we should we should come up with this system. Yeah. We need... Uh, this is a great idea. Yeah. We need to figure out... This solves, yeah. This solves. We need to find good divi- well, but it divisors. Doesn't, though. That's you know? what. That's the reason I deleted the post is because it doesn't actually solve it. Because you could say, just use ten thousand dollars as an example. Say, oh well, you know, I could buy one one millionth of the supply of Bitcoin for ten thousand dollars, 
or I could buy one one hundred thousandth of the supply. I could be like I could have a lot more Litecoin. But no, you. But yeah. at least it communicates clearly what's happening. It's a more honest system than the current system where you think that a unit is a unit. This one, you know that that's your gamble is you're buying more yeah, that's of a currently worthless thing. So that as a percent but of I the think, network, but yeah, I think this would be extremely honest, useful, yeah. um, and maybe could even get people in the future to start standardizing like token issuance around these t- type of unit divisors or whatever, whatever we went with, because it's I think they're you you're also going to have to do. J- Jared is a big fan of the one to twelve counting system, right? Yes, I think. Uh, so sorry, I was. This totally could be. A, this could be. A, this is a. Got me. As soon as you said twelve, yeah. I got really excited yeah. about that. You like think, that number? I, no, I think like um, Litecoin. I think Lightning needs to be base twelve. Well, we're talking about. Do you, is there a way to apply your base twelve things to the unit thing we're talking about now? All right, can we go into this base 12 thing? Okay, what's I mean, ba- if anything, it should be 12. base 16. Why, why are you talking about base 12? So why base 16? Because base 16 is hex, and base 16 is the power of 2, and 16 is just a more, way more beautiful number. Than so I'm not talking about whether the number is beautiful or not. I'm talking about how divisible that number is for the purposes of transactions. Um, oh, okay. Making um, – if something's base 12 – you get nice, pretty round numbers when you need 25% of it, when you need a third of it, when you need a half of it, where you need 75% of it. You get really nice round numbers without these nasty fractions. Oh, okay. And it makes makes numbers easier. There's a lot of currencies that used to do that. Uh, Sterling Pound uh, used to do it with, uh, I think, Pence or whatever it's called back in the day. Really? Um, yeah, it's base 12. Um, and there's still a lot of currencies today that still do it. And... Um, the automatic reaction when you tell someone, hey, base 12's a uh, much smaller system, everyone's like, oh, I've got five fingers. Um, and that's a really convenient and silly excuse where every culture that's used base 12's has, have counted phalanxes on the first four fingers, excluding the thumb. It's 12 of them. You can go home and count them yourself if you like. But um, point being is that it's as convenient to... Um, to Everyone's looking at their hands right now. I got it. I got it. Bear. This sounds right. Oh, it is right. Uh, yeah. So, um, but I, I really think that the, um, one of the really confusing parts about dealing with anything, especially when you go uh, 10 to the negative 8, is you got a lot of you got a lot of crazy numbers there. And if we could make it a little easier, especially for something that is supposed to be a payment system... Um, giving change back and having to make fractions and especially those nasty fractions um it's difficult and i and i think that we ignore how rare integers actually are in the real world like irrational numbers are just so much more common and we just ignore that as a fact nothing is priced in an integer yeah that's a good point this is this is good stuff. We're gonna have to get right out some main coins and like figure out is there some sort of common unit that we connect these guys with. I I love this idea. I feel like we love this more than you love it because maybe you've thought about it for longer. You've realized <laughs> the flaws, but I love this idea because I've always had a very difficult time not with explaining the unit bias to people, but whether to even decide to try to explain the unit bias to people because. It really doesn't matter how many Bitcoins there are in existence. There could be one Bitcoin. Like the total supply of Bitcoin could be one. And it could be divisible to 16 decimal places instead of eight decimal places. And and it would be the exact same thing. Like none of that stuff matters. It's all about percent of the total. 
yeah. percent of the total supply is the only thing that matters. How come yeah. we? How come I never thought about this? All right, so tell us why. Again, you don't think this is that great of an well, idea. I don't think it's a great idea because you 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 come to some place with your ten thousand dollars and want to buy, and you say, "Oh, I, well, I can only buy one one hundred millionth of the supply of Bitcoin with this ten thousand, but I can buy one one hundred thousandth of Litecoin." You know, and so you 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 think you're getting, you know, you you actually are getting more of the total of the Litecoin. I'd like work, to just see that breakdown, though. Have you done that breakdown? Um, I used to do um, all my altcoin training understanding this breakdown and just this is how I determined if something was undervalued or not. Was is is this relation to Bitcoin correct? Is it overvalued relation to Bitcoin based on unit buys or is it, you know? And I mean, some like pro, the, the site that I like to just look at prices um, broadly is just the on chain FX or the Masari site. And they have a, a little filter where you can price things in bitcoin so you can say okay bitcoin's at nine thousand you know if ethereum had bitcoin's qualities it would trade at three thousand you know so you can price things in bitcoin as an alternative um just to standardize things if you that's that's good too that's a good conversion too i'm not quite sure what you meant by that so you're not just talking about the trading pair bitcoin for ethereum no, I'm saying that if uh, if instead of having 110 million Ethereum, there were only 21 million Ethereum, how much would one ETH cost? And you just you know multiply 250 dollars by 10 or something, and you get the the equivalent okay. Bitcoin price. So is that equivalent to the percentage thing that we were talking about? It's just looking at it from a different angle. Yeah, it's looking at okay. it based on the Bitcoin price, not based on the percent of total supply. Hmm. Yeah, this is all good. I also wonder if people will have given up on all coins so quickly that that will not be an issue again. You know, like I don't know. Does, man. Have pe- do people think the flipping is gonna do? Here's a good topic. Do people think the flipping are people going to jump on board a new flipping scenario with the new bull run that something's going to flip Bitcoin? Probably not. Like that I was think one that's the, that so was one far of, out of the question now. I hate to say that because I might be proven wrong, but I feel like that was a much bigger deal two years ago yeah. than it is now. Two years ago, it was still possible. You think? I guess. Oh, I never thought it was possible. Well, actually, two and a half years ago. With the fork wars, with the Segwit yeah. stuff, um, but yeah, the fork wars, whatever came out was going to be Bitcoin, so that doesn't quite count. It's more yeah, like true. a a different yeah. like Ripple could have flipped it, or Ethereum could have flipped it, or Dash could have flipped I was it. Like never one of these about guys. That. Yeah. Okay, I think what's more like I don't think any actual cryptocurrency is ever going to flip Bitcoin, but I think what's more likely and what could reasonably happen is just some stable coin. You know, the Bank of England comes out. You know, you know some. Name name any big country that comes out with the first actual central bank digital currency, and like it suddenly has a five hundred billion dollar market cap, and you know it's on the chart above Bitcoin from market cap perspective. And it's like, well, that's not really fair, you know. Okay, can we talk about this? I I don't think that any federal government coming out with their cryptocurrency is going to be a big deal at all because I think it'll immediately be recognized by everyone that there's absolutely no difference between this coin and the current digital version of their fiat currency but why did people so i, I don't under 
I don't think there will be any way that that gains any market cap of anything. Why did people get Apple credit cards though? It, like, yeah, but they don't I actually don't need understand. people to buy it to give it market cap. They can just digitize it themselves, and it's like it's not like they've lost anything. You yeah, that's true. You don't have to actually get, get adoption. Yeah, it's not. It's not an. You're saying it's not an opt-in system. It's yeah. like if you take cash away, then that's just what the the currency is going to it be. It could start out as an interbank digital currency. That's you know the banks settle in digital dollars that are sort of. Mm. Even though they already do, like I don't even know. Like we always talk about, like what's the why are we talking about digital currency? It's already in place for the dollar. I know. Yeah, yeah it, it annoys me that no one has fast forwarded with me to the just assumption that all money is digital. Like, yeah. I, like right. what, what, why are, why is everyone still like confused about this? All money is digital, period. Yeah, yeah I think that like, it's digital and it's unauditable. It's like, I and think the yeah. actual cash, the cash that represents the total dollars in circulation, I think uh, could be off, but I think it's like 17% is in cash or something like that. So yeah, it's just like you're saying, it's all digital. It's just yeah, I've heard on, numbers a, like on, that. A, on a database. So I, a lot of things about like it economics and stuff i had to learn and bitcoin like opened my eyes to and i was like wow i was so stupid about money before bitcoin like this has happened over and over again but the one thing that never happened was the assumption that money wasn't digital like ever since i was like 15 i assumed that all money was digital with checking accounts and stuff like this i don't understand i mean i understand the mind-blowing things that bitcoin does to you but i don't i don't understand the people that haven't made the jump to thinking as money is digital already I, I guess they don't think that digital makes it easily editable and uneditable yeah. and like yeah. they yeah they just don't take a next step can, can i maybe throw a like an added wrench to that thought why do we consider paper money to not be digital as well <laughs> oh here we go <laughs> I mean, it's the serial mean, number that defines the value. the fact that it's paper? Well, besides the fact that it's meaningless, right? I mean, it's <laughs> not it's not defining any value. But in a person-to-person transaction, we don't... You're passing a serial number. Yeah, but no one looks at the serial number to val- validate it. Nobody runs a node. No one... <laughs> I, 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 Dude, I, actually, I have I really... mining fiat currency <laughs> with my Libra. That is one of the. If someone actually had a fiat mining operation, I would consider investing. I think, (laughs) dude, that's such a great way to to say it. A fiat mining operation. That's great. I think these fiat this fiat miner is messing up. These dollars don't look very right to me. They're blue. (laughs) Is that what the Fed is? Is it a fiat fiat mining operation? Yeah. I just, I just imagine like some dude running a subway sandwich store. It's like a fiat mining operation. <laughs> I would love dollar foot long. I would love if you just had like a printer or like an old school fax machine, and every once in a while a dollar would just start printing out, and you're like, oh no, I got a block. <laughs> it's printing. <laughs> dude, I, I, uh, I've been meaning to ask you. I got this really old fax machine. Like mm-hmm. it was my dad's fax machine. Like I want to plug it up just to see if I can mine a fiat block. Like, what's the chance and find one? I it doesn't hash real fast, though. People would enjoy that as an altcoin, as a fax machine-based altcoin. Have you guys ever heard the story about this dude who had this box, and he would like get on a cruise ship with this box, and it would print hundred-dollar bills? It's like. I don't know. I don't know if he like preloaded it with a bunch of hundred dollar bills or something. But he he would like convince people on the cruise ship 
over several days that this thing was a money printing machine. And he would like start some bidding war with all the people on the cruise ship and just sell the thing for thousands and thousands. And this is a long time ago. And I don't know. No, I really want to hear about this. I'll have to look it up. So he got on the cruise boat. It's like a three day cruise or something. Yeah. So he had three days to get this rumor to go around the boat. And the, yeah, like the first day, he like you know brings it to the buffet line and he's like prints one and like hands it to the person to pay for his meal. And on the day. first day, and he's real quiet about it. Yeah, yeah. And then he yeah. like word gets around the ship and everybody starts talking and people start bidding on it and they're like, "Hey, man, are you selling that?" Thing? Yeah, and then get one. And then all of a sudden, he has <laughs> some personal situation where he didn't want to have to sell the machine, but <laughs> yeah. now he has to sell it. That's, that's oh, what I think about great. when a Fiat Miner. That's what comes to mind. I th- I kind of would like he, when we talked about the fax machine. This is dumb, but I'll just go on a rant because we're wrapping up to the end of the episode. Thank you for making it this far. So let's start let's start prob- propagating blocks by fax machine, right? So we start out with a initial block, and everybody that wants to receive the block gives us their phone number. So we then fax it to everybody. Solve the puzzle. When you get done with it, you fax it into the number, and it blasts out to everybody, and then they solve the n- next one. But you do it. You're just sending out the puzzle via fax, like a Sudoku puzzle, maybe. No, no. This uh, is the same. It's still a cryptographic puzzle, but it's only being distributed via fax. Can you stop Mm. someone from sending you a fax? You probably can, can. like block, because it's like a telephone (laughs) number. So you could like call the phone company and block somebody. There's a real spam problem with faxes. But like, we should just choose a business around town and fax them the entire blockchain. (laughs) So the (laughs) telephone (laughs) privacy. Uh, protection act oh come TCPA. on don't, don't ruin on our program. i'm sorry man that's oh, it's a big business for lawyers to sue people for facts um sending uh, unauthorized faxes okay well oh, really oh yeah uh, big business just okay make a bitcoin payment to them and then prove that it's in the blockchain there you go you're not spamming them you're just helping them validate the payment i don't know i think the, i think you could almost run bitcoin through a fax machine it would, it would be fun to think whether they could have done it back then just by solving a puzzle and like sit, just sending the hash. You're just distributing a hash. You could write it out. You couldn't do a huge block, but you could have almost run it over fax machines. Uh, yeah. Well, my mind's still on this unit bias thing, man. Dude, we, we can we can start a thread about it. We can talk. Yeah. Unit bias, this percentage thing's great. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I don't know. I thought it was dumb, but... No, that's a great. It can idea. be applied to all things. We can apply. I mean, imagine when we can do the gold unit bias and get it yeah, involved I mean, you could do in the like gold, silver. Yeah. Like you could get, you could do every commodity in terms of percentage. Because I don't even like. Imagine. I don't even like how people um, compare like an ounce of gold to an ounce of silver. It's exactly. like, why did you guys decide on an ounce? That doesn't yeah, make any sense. To, exactly. Like, and what like, if when we do it with this with fiat as well? We're like, you know what? Venezuela's dollar is not so bad once you use our unit thing, or not, yeah. not really, but something will pop out as not being as bad as we thought. It could reveal that currency is currently undervalued in the. Uh, I'm just scared what pops out is not being so bad as Litecoin. <laughs> that was a joke. So how do you um, how do you use this um, method of calculating percentages for something that has an unlimited supply? That's, That's the, the point. point. You it can't. reveals it. It yeah, reveals it. I understand it. that that it reveals it. What you actually have to do is say like asterisk 
This is the estimated supply as of the year 2050 or 2500. Or just pick some year in the future and say big estimated asterisk, supply. Three asterisks. Yeah. Multicolored Size asterisks. Yeah. I think we should put yeah. something in the name. Like, you Sounds know, in Spanish, you put an A or an O for the like for the gender of the pencil or whatever. But um, we'll just put like an A at the end of all Pencils the- Pencils have different genders? I thought all- <laughs> Pencils, like so and elaborate. Yeah, lapis, lapis. Um, yeah, you put either L or La before before Spanish. It's a confusing word because it's L lapis, but the word starts with La. <laughs> oh, so it's a, that's a that's a confusing. I wasn't example. speaking. I was giving yeah. a specific example of pencil translated, <laughs> but we, but we're just all of. The, but it'll be like the exact same word plus an A at the end means that the there's a supply problem or a. Uh, Easto would might mean like, oh no, it's got a rapidly it's increasing very, supply. It, you yeah. know, see, the, but we can rapidissimo. do that. In, yeah. <laughs> Theoriumissimo. <laughs> <laughs> this, is like, this is like crypto Esperanto. Like, we've got to figure out the language of this percentage yeah. money. Oh, <laughs> Theoriumissimo, guys. <laughs> Have you seen the new staking contracts? <laughs> oh man! No, I, I, are there new staking contracts? No, I was just joking. But I mean, people were united around it. Guys, we're only Ethereum. We need to be Ethereumismo with our payments to our miners. <laughs> Let's keep those miners happy. How did we transition from like what the new Bitcoiners are going to look like to this uh, unit bias thing? trying to like oh, the new, patch the together new, the, the new bitcoins can't figure out the unibuys oh, yeah, that's they're right. like gonna solve my, their my problem. friend's dad likes litecoin too much and we yeah just, we just can't have that so like i mean imagine this awesome world where we actually convinced coinbase and kraken and gemini to actually list things in terms of percentages we'd be heroes yeah. we'd go down as heroes not just for the bitcoin community but for the world <laughs> And we'd yeah. be entered into heaven like along with Satoshi. This, this, I mean, this helps the shit corners convert. Yeah, to Bitcoiners way more powerfully. You know, so there are a lot of industries that have gone through these kinds of changes. Um, the one that that I can speak to with any kind of authority is the legal community trying to um, standardize uh, citations and references. A uh, bunch of people got together in the late 80s, worked through the 90s and beginning of the 2000s. They started producing this book called The Blue Book. They didn't come up with a better name than that, but basically the, the nasty-ass Blue Book is this standard um, schema for writing citations. And it's got every conceivable citation that exists for publications from um, the Western Samoa. If they've got a, a law review article there, this is how you cite to that. If you are going to make reference to a deposition in your case that was actually taken as part of another case, here's how you cite to that. So this is like APA or... MLA, APA, okay. but for the law. We need to come up with with a defined plan of what this percentage calculation is called. It needs to have a catchy name. If it doesn't have a cool name, no one's going to fucking talk about it. <laughs> It's the rule of any any uh, uh, operation. Besides a catchy name, it has to have a defined and simple and easy to memorize schema for, for measuring things. And if you can hammer out those things and it's easy to remember, especially, I mean, we're half joking here. And I think like if I, I'm not quite sure if you guys were half serious at the same time, but I think you were. 
um, using something uh, that is pulled from another language. I mean, there's precedence in that. Um, and pulling that into numbers, that it happens all the time as people start developing new counting systems or new ways to do things. They just lean and borrow from, from other languages. There's no reason why this shouldn't actually be a thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% dead serious when I say that. And also, you know, a lot. it's been a, a recent thing for people to say, you know, to measure things in sats. And I've got like a browser plugin that, you know, you click the button and all the prices change to sats. But that's a short-term solution, man. Once we, we 50x from here, like sats, you're back to penny parity. And then we're screwed again. We, we also need something that goes the other direction for the idea of, of shrinking resources. So like if we knew the finite oil supply, but we knew it was going to go down over time for a barrel of oil, we need something for that scenario for moving the opposite way. Or if a coin, there are coins that have tried the burning method. I don't think it's going to try do any more where the supply goes down over time officially, but someone could try it. Percentages and scientific notation, <clears throat> like one e to the negative eight percentage. Naming things is very important, and it gives it a sort of uh, magical quality. Yeah. My my concern about using some kind of scientific notation is that. That is not usable for the average. Yeah, right. Person. Right after I said that, I, I thought but that I, was a I'd bad like idea. I like the idea, but, but it just the it, Satoshi is a powerful word. We all know what that is because it represents the smallest denomination. Like iota is the very same concept, but it's Greek, right? I mean, it's right. it's so like if you were gonna go buy twenty one million, I'm not twenty. If you're going to go buy 21 Bitcoin, you know, one one millionth of the supply, like there should be a casual word that you can say like. Oh yeah, he dropped uh, the. I told like, you it's Bulbasaur. Like I mean, oh, it's, it's good, and I'm I'm saying that to be humorous, but I'm also saying that an, an easy way to reference like five Bulbasaurs. This is what he got for that. Like, see that Lambo? It cost a. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know? And I think just some kind of. And you know that's one one millionth, whatever the price is today. Yeah. That's. No, I think there's 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 really uh, power in that, but also being able to use integers in front of that word creates the ability to um, to multiply it. And it, and it makes it easy to utilize when so you're building and you're applying schemas on together. It just needs to be repeatable and reliable and easy to understand. Yeah, I think we... Yeah. It can't be complicated, I guess what I'm saying. And that's the problem with sats, is that after you get above 100,000 sats, it's just too many zeros. It doesn't too many need commas. To, it doesn't need to be too standardized. Like, everybody figured out penny, nickel, quarter, a dollar. So you can do crazy things with your unit, and we might even want to look at how things appear in nature um, for, like, how to actually divide things. Like, maybe we should do, you know, one, three, seven as we scale, something like that. Um, but there's something here. I don't know if there's a way to, like, analyze yeah. the relationship between all the different currencies to find, like, what are the actual, what are the best denominators to yeah. to center around for the most simplicity? I just thought about turning this on its head and making it like a game of the game of golf where the lower score was better. And so you could just say, instead of saying one, one millionth, you would just say one million, but that would be worse than a hundred. I, I like that <laughs> way of doing it though, because you skip saying the one ten millionth, you just say the second part. Yeah. yeah like, I don't think that could catch on, but that would be really cool. What if right? we, what if we use words like mega and ultra and actually gave them some sort of weight where it actually meant a numerical value, things like that. Hype, you know. Yeah, I like that too. Hmm. Like the metric system. Yeah. Why don't we just adopt the metric he's system? Got a, he's got a mega bit. 
that means you've yeah. got one one millionth of the Bitcoin supply. I, I don't even I think like you that. put bit, I really bit like in there. That. I think you would just say like yeah. a mega to yeah. be more neutral. You got to know what chat huh. said. Because we already have millibits. Like we tried that. Sort you of. can't call it bit. You can't give it a unit though because a percentage is by definition unitless. So you just have to say one mega. He yeah. has like right, but, oh, one which, mega of Tron and or one, you know, yeah, yeah, mi- it's, one it's milli a, of Litecoin. It's a, yeah, yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah, yeah. I, I just Dude, like the idea. Great. Or we could. Uh, I just like the idea of stealing like a full set of rankings that people will immediately know where things fall. Like you could steal the the poker hands and be like, "This is a royal flush. This is a straight flush." But like that idea that somewhere it's already set up the the correct. Well, we've just solved unit bias here on the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup. First, we solved mining. So there are a lot of pre-designed uh, metric prefixes. There's binary prefix. All these concepts exist. Um, How dare but, you? I'm, Our I'm, dreams I'm dashed by one Google search. <laughs> no, <it's all laughs> but no, but nobody's applying this to Bitcoin. No, yeah. you're, you're just talking about the metric system prefixes, yeah, right? So, but yeah. I'm, I'm talking about binary prefixes. What are binary? Can what do you mean by binary? So there are a plethora of different prefixes that exist i mean metric prefixes you mean like powers of two like 10 to the 24 uh, pico nano micro miller centi uh decky uh right those are all metric yeah if you go to oh shit i just clicked off it uh if you go to binary you can do that very same thing with um kilo mega giga terra peter exa zeta yoda those are also metric that is decimal. That's the decimal prefix. I think decimal would be better than binary for what we're trying to do. The, I mean, the weird thing is we're all we have to deal with one out of twenty-one million. How are we going to deal with one out of twenty? Because million? it's a percentage. But like, which right. one of these words do so we use? For one million of, so percentage is base one hundred. So if we do percentage, we're, we're already in the, the base ten. That's world. the big thing: is you're not thinking about it one out of twenty-one million. You're thinking about it as x percent out of 100 i just want to be able to apply the the bitcoin one the unit easily between currencies like how do we do that i think we're a dollar for the percentage of the supply like the percentage of the supply per dollar it that's how we compare between currencies i mean that'll that might make bitcoin look bad i mean that I think it'd be interesting just to see. It'll be interesting if it's cleaner. More I mean, not make Bitcoin look bad. It would make Bitcoin look we already like know really that expensive. Humans right? have a really hard time comprehending large numbers. So if this does any advancements for wrapping our heads around like large yeah. fractions of a humongous supply of a currency, you know, and especially like comparing large numbers, you know, between things. Yeah, I, I think that that's the the thing that it would help more with is comparing large numbers between things because when you see the price you know nine thousand versus fifty dollars you think well geez nine thousand is way bigger than fifty but when you look at them percent wise it's like there's this underlying assumption that the slices of the pizza have been cut evenly you know people just assume it's the same pizza that it's the same yeah or it's the same size pizza and the slices have been cut evenly And right. 
people just assume that because why would they mess with us by not doing that? Did you? Are you kind of? Uh, you feel weird that we went into this long of a conversation about this? No, it makes me feel really happy. But okay. I have good, interesting ideas. Don't delete your posts on I'm, Telegram, I'm not man. Self-censor anymore. I promise. We will censor for you. We will shame you into never presenting <laughs> yeah. an idea this bad no, we'll again. <laughs> Exposed censorship. When you come before the council, don't bring this chunk. <laughs> so, do you guys envision that naming system benefiting? the newer Bitcoiners in the next phase, if that were to be adopted, or is that more of a 20 years, 15 years down the line kind of ultimate naming system? Because I just, I I feel like, you know, people coming in buying Litecoin first, that's like a rite of passage. And as as long as those... You can't be a Bitcoiner until you're a shitcoiner first. (laughs) Oh yeah, at least in part. Maybe you bought them at the same time. But it's... (laughs) this is not true by the way yeah it is it's like we're all dirty (laughs) nobody is pure you know everybody's uh, delved into the 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 stream of filth but i just feel like that's when you learn your lesson and uh and and if you don't learn that then you're not a bitcoiner you know it's kind of self-selecting in a way is the best way to find out what a good money is is not going from dollars to Bitcoin, but for going from dollars to shitcoin to Bitcoin, that that's the correct path? This might be an American thing because... You haven't seen a bad currency until you've seen a shitcoin. Ex- exactly. Like, the rest of the world <laughs> right, has point, seen bad currencies before, whereas Americans have never and seen like, bad currencies. Yeah, we're on board. Dash, this is great, guys. Yeah. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> 40% in a week. <laughs> it's probably true. Maybe we, maybe we've been doing it wrong. We just need to trick people into getting shit coins. They're like, you know what? You're an asshole. I'm getting into Bitcoin now. <laughs> I'm going to be really sad when Cash App adds uh, altcoins. They don't, right now, they only have Bitcoin. Right now, they only have Bitcoin, which I think is why you see a lot of people like that, that's me Jack showing Dorsey? them. Yeah, it's Jack Dorsey. The, yeah. Do you think it's a guarantee? Yeah, I bet he's holding out. I bet he he's like knows enough to do that. So, yeah. when So, Cash App will be Bitcoin only so long as Jack Dorsey is okay. influential yeah. in that company. Yeah. If he leaves, I bet you they'll go, they'll go sh- straight shitcoin. Sh- straight shitcoin sure. immediately. <laughs> I mean, we watched Coinbase like dignity fall apart completely. Like the stuff they like add lately. What, what, what have they added more they just have no lately? standards i remember when coinbase had standards it was like too respectable it's like you know what i don't even want coinbase adding my coin yet i know it's not ready and now <laughs> it's just picking up pores off the street you know? <laughs> oh, man. yeah nobody knows about the coins that's why they have that was it the urn that's been incorporated oh, or, yeah. or the, the, you go and take this test or info session yeah. on the coin, and let me let me tell you all about it, yep. and then what? you earn some. Watch this propaganda that only you will have ever seen. <laughs> right, right. You are the only buyer. Yeah. I, I'm going to attempt to change the subject a little bit, maybe for our last segment here. I don't know how long we've been going on, but uh, we talked a little bit before the show about how Bitcoin is at kind of like 12 years here since satoshi first started thinking about it and since everything great is base 12 as we talked about and the chinese calendar is 12 different animals right 
we're wondering if Bitcoin has come full circle in some kind of Chinese base twelve spiritual in world. In a celestial way. We've in now, a celestial the, the clock way. has rotated one rotation and now we're there again. The twelve unit bias that What is that yeah, what does that mean? Um is Bitcoin I guess you could have said the same thing about the decade of Bitcoin, but the twelve but year thing in the Chinese. Well. We're kind of on the second decade of Bitcoin. We're kind of starting a new decade in the twenty twenties. We're also it's... staring at a astro uh, astrology enthusiast group study guide hmm. enthusiast study group the universe left it here for us yeah exactly we need to invite them next week yeah for sure well it you know people in bitcoin love cycles you know yeah. they love periodic things there's you know blocks every 10 minutes there's halvings every two hundred and ten thousand blocks there's hype cycles there's all these things there's and if if it's true that everything in bitcoin is a cycle that is fantastic because the the cycles up until now have been the price good. graph looks nothing like a cycle i feel like people just impose cycles on everything they see if, but if we're on a 12-year cycle i think the thing that happened the rebirth if you will was the lightning network that was the, oh the, that this happened at the 12-year anniversary of bitcoin it's like oh now bitcoin has shed its past is you know it's the same, but it's different. You know, this is, is the start it, of the new epoch. Is it like a snake shedding its outer layer of skin? Yeah. Is, is, wait, I don't like to think of the main yes. chain as the shedded layer of but, skin. But, you know, though. this is how things we have to accept. Time moves on. We shed our skin. <laughs> we can't remain the same forever. It's like a crab. <laughs> you know? Crab gets out of its old shell and gets a new bigger mm. shell. You know, you might cling these on to bad, it, try bad. to stay in Yeah, these aren't great analogies. <laughs> <laughs> Bitcoin is not crabs. Yeah. We're not shedding anything. I think the opposite is true. We're putting a new layer on. I think uh, mm. we're, Bitcoin is becoming more itself yeah. again. That the, the Lightning Network is allowing it to be even more decentralized and censorship proof than the original Bitcoin. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, some people have kind of just given up on privacy on the main chain mm -hmm. and think that all improvements in privacy for Bitcoin are going to come on, on second layers. And I mean, this would have yeah, been a great question to start the podcast. Yeah, right? we, can, we can do this again at the start of the next one. But yeah, Wait, like, what's the question? Um, is, is Lightning Network the rebirth of Bitcoin? Please. Well, yeah. And then specifically related to privacy... Uh, are the improvements in privacy for Bitcoin going to be expected to, to come on Lightning and not so much on the main chain? Well, they might be realized through Lightning, but they're enabled on the main chain. You know, so like you, you can't, you don't get the benefits of channel factories and you know multiple people signing with Schnorr and co you know commingling funds and channels and stuff unless you have all this capability on the main chain okay maybe I, I don't think we need to distinguish between bitcoin and lightning network that much i think that will go yeah. away we'll stop like uh did everyone man that's crazy okay all right the problem i have with that is that if i can see that distinction going away if people don't own their own private keys 
Okay, but maybe it's maybe people can still own their private keys and still not distinguish between Bitcoin. And I I don't know. I can't see well, that happening. I think that Bitcoin is a set of principles, and it's like a phoenix has died and reborn is the exact same phoenix, like it happened in Harry Potter at one point. Like, is that a, is that the same phoenix? It's, it is and it isn't, you know. But what is Bitcoin? It never died, man. But Bitcoin private? <laughs> it didn't die in the movie. Oh, it died. No, no, no. Bitcoin yeah. didn't die. No. Um, like on-chain scaling died, and then you reborn. It's like this new thing, and and like, well, we're back to make we're we're trying okay, to get away from pseudonymity, which we, we started out anonymous. They went to pseudonymous, back to anonymous with Lightning. We were like decentralized. Everyone had their own miner. Now we can't decentralize mining anymore, so we're in decentralized an- transactions, uh, so that you, they can't be censored because we're off off the main chain okay you yeah don't need i like to, that the miners can't collude and stop them because yeah just know. the the cycles mm-hmm. of these mm-hmm. progress and fall back like they're so quick mm-hmm. you know all these cycles have happened in the last couple of years you know mm-hmm. and we're already into an what what feels like a new you know a new cycle of pro privacy pro you know mining decentralization pro mm-hmm. whatever yeah. It's just amazing to see it happen in real time. And we were experimenting the whole time. We were trying like ASIC resistance, stuff like that, and just it didn't work out. So that you have this period of experience, you know, towards the end of the cycle, you know, the darkest part, it's like, man, nothing's working, nothing's working. We're about to crash. And then you actually have the yeah. breakthrough and lightning does start to work, it, right. you know. Hmm. It'd be interesting. It was like August 1st, 2017, when the Bcash fork happened, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that's right. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see when Satoshi started writing or writing code just based on that timeline. Like if it was actually like, I guess that wouldn't have been 12 years. That would have been like about 10. My guess is that Satoshi started writing code way before he admitted that he write, he was writing code. Yeah, I think that's true. Like I, I, I would, what I would bet this that? was like three or four years. You think, it, you think he did that by I himself? I mean, maybe we should ask Satoshi since we know who Satoshi is now. So uh, there are there is stuff happening along that line. I can talk to you off. I've reached out to Satoshi on LinkedIn. He is not. He, we, we're not connected yet. Is he wearing a suit? Did Where, he accept your request? Like? Your friend request? It, we're not connected yet. He's not accepted my request. But I don't think he checks it very often. He doesn't have that many other connections. Yeah, you got to be patient. Does he have a skullet like Hulk Hogan? I don't know what's going on. Oh, I know what you're talking yeah, about. No, he does not. Oh, no, he looks bad. very normal looking. My heroes are dead. A uh, uh, Scottish man. But uh, but stuff is happening with that. We will let you know when we get our Satoshi interview. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think Satoshi started working on this code we're, we're, a we're long at- time ago because of how good it was. And all of these um, trade-offs, all of the dials were turned to like the perfect setting and you know, the difficulty adjustment time and the one megabyte blocks and the 10 minute um, block time, you know, all these things were just like impeccably perfect. There's no way he he only started working on this a year before. I I mean, I don't know. I I think he's been working on this for like three or four years. I want to know how long he thought about the game theory aspects, the incentive structure, I feel like would be the most difficult thing to formulate and then to actually code that, I think it would be just a secondary to that incentive structure. Yeah, maybe that's a good point to. Yeah, I mean, if 
I mean, thinking through either one of those things, code or the game theory stuff, thinking through one of those right. is just incredible. And also doing it by yourself mm-hmm. is unbelievable. Do you do you think it was possible to know the game theory would work out beforehand? Or is game theory something you just have to actually implement and see if it works? Like, is it auditable beforehand that, that game theory is going to work out? I don't know if it is. Well, I, there's, there's so many types of game theory. Uh, the game theory of the incentive system for, like, the miners trying to mine the coins and remaining decentralized and the whole proof of work thing. I mean, I, I guess you could think through all of that. I guess you wouldn't need to actually code that up. And even, even if you don't think through, you know, the progression from CPUs to GPUs to FPGA to ASIC, all if you don't, even if you don't think through all that stuff, if you just realize that mining will get more efficient over time, and we need to adjust for that, and just solve that one problem, then all the all the ultimate stuff just falls out, you know, because you got the first thing right. That would definitely be my one of my top questions for Satoshi is. You had to have seen the ASICs coming. Like, mm-hmm. there's, you know, that if this would have catch, caught on, there would have been this separation between consensus nodes and mining nodes, and that the hashing would be done by an ASIC. I don't know if he did. I, I don't know that I, Satoshi had had the. But this is just idea. But this I, is such a standard part of electronics. Well. I, if Satoshi, okay, if Satoshi didn't see this going to ASICs, then he must have not had an electronics background. He must have only I, had an economic background. I, I think that that's you're probably right on there because I think he he genuinely believed in like the one chip, uh, like one, everybody one having, CPU yeah, one vote. Yeah, he thought that was yeah. going to happen. Yeah, that's that's my big that that leads me to believe that he just doesn't. I, I mean, I just have like a bachelor's degree in electronics, and we are all taught like you know. If your stuff is good, here's how you bring it to an ASIC. <laughs> you know, oh. I mean, that's just like a standard way of thinking in electrical engineering. Um, so I, so yeah, I guess that's maybe some evidence that he's not. I, I, it, I, want, I wonder if he assumed there would be a different algorithm that would make it so you could always stay one chip, one vote, regardless of the chip speed, or like why did he think one chip, one vote would work? Like I, obviously, chips are gonna be different. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like uh, you know the. I could go to two different people. There, one computer, well, one per- person's laptop's four times as fast as the as the other person's. I think he meant more one blockchain, one vote. So, you know, one node and one node has one okay, copy of so the blockchain. So he never thought all of them, all of them would be racing evenly, but that each of them had a. Yeah, I think yeah. it would have it a, a reasonable. You would still vote. be able to win a block. He right. never thought he would get that far behind as individual mining. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, when you get the interview with Satoshi, ask him about, you know, mm. we'll talk about this if off, you thought about off that. Mic, guys. This is so, going to be a big exclusive. So what I, nah, what I absolutely nobody's love, gonna care. <laughs> what I love about these uh, podcasts, and maybe this is like heading towards a closing statement because we are about to hit two hours. Okay. Is that as we like we talk with such reverence about like the way that this thing was so lovingly and carefully designed and processed and thought about. And it is so eerily similar to the conversation that I heard before the Sunday meetup started. I got there early and I was listening to an actual Bible study going on. And Mackenzie? 
No, no, this is just a regular old like at at Nora coffee shop Sundays. Was it a Karen? It, there were a couple Karens. There were a couple Karens, but they were talking so lovingly about this book and breaking apart and analyzing it with the exact same words we're talking about here. It's like there's such religious doctrine and fervor and reverence that we have just talking about this idea. Um, it's definitely something we're passionate about, and um, yeah, I don't know. That's what keeps me coming back. I'm not. Pa- I'm not passionate me. about it. Yeah, I don't care about Bitcoin at all. I objectively like it. <laughs> all right should we wrap it up here should we get towards like final comments anybody have any like cool bitcoin stories that happened in this past week or that are upcoming next week uh i'll make two comments one is uh i was closing out some stuff on my my lightning labs wallet and moving it over to breeze to try out breeze and i'm trying to figure out what happened with the closing transaction so I got to do some debugging on that one. So that's no fun. Um, but also uh, just encourage people to run a node. It's awesome to, you know, just casually keep an eye on the node throughout the day and see transactions coming into the mempool and blocks coming out and stuff. And it's it's a really cool way to stay connected with the network and see what's going on there. And I'd really encourage you to check it out. And it's super easy to start one up. So. I have... Uh a Bitcoin podcast that I've started listening to a boy named Sue and he's got a interview with uh, Pierre Richard that he just had. And then there was another podcast that I'll show next week, but I think that's cool. Also we had um, a group from the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup do a video tour. You've stolen mine. Oh, There's shit. Okay. To talk about. So <laughs> go ahead. No, and do that so one. yeah, a couple of us got together, JC and guy, um, and we're going to be releasing that soon. We uh, went around and showed how easy you, it is to use Bitcoin. There are a lot of videos on YouTube right now showing people pretend to not be able to use Bitcoin. And it's basically because they're trying to use Bitcoin in the way we talked about using it in 2016 instead of using the actual latest apps, the way people are doing it in real life. And this is showing, you know, how easy it is to, you know, buy gift cards and just immediately spend them with Lightning Network and Bitcoin and uh, the Breeze Wallet and Fold uh, helped us do that, and it was a lot of fun. We talked. To, I was surprised uh, how many people I talked to about Bitcoin uh, were like enthusiastic about it. Only two people were not. One was, didn't really know about it, and the other one knew about it but wasn't enthusiastic about it. But everybody else, you know, it's getting a nice reception out there, uh, and everyone at Best Buy was more enthusiastic than everyone else, which is like common sense. But we forget to think like, is this probably a good fishing spot for Bitcoin people? Like if when you are in any tech situation, any video game situation, it's a good time to like assume someone might be a Bitcoin around you. Yeah. I, I really like that. I, I want to give a shout out to the law of unintended consequences. Um, <laughs> and the designers of the coronavirus <laughs> who are designers, specific word choice, who are literally well right now well done, guys. causing Bitcoin to pump. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say that we're going to see Bitcoin go over 10,000 wow. because of the coronavirus. Wow. Um, Maybe coronavirus. And, 
Go, go, go ahead and celebrate. Celebrate. Oh, oh. Yes. <laughs> celebrate good times. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think there's correlation there. Um, and we can we can totally see a bunch of really, really um, wealthy folks trying to secure their wealth by moving it to a really hard asset, moving it to something that can help them cross borders more effectively. And uh, you got people trying to flee a country, especially a really large country. Uh, U.S. State Department says don't travel to China. Um so that's good for Bitcoin. I heard running a Bitcoin node cures coronavirus. Sure, you got to rub it, it all over them. Yeah, you got to get all up in there. <laughs> yeah, so shout out to the designers. Word up. Um, see you next year for the next version of this. Uh, let's see it pump harder. The right hand is spoken. <laughs> <laughs> no, just uh, RIP Kobe. You know, uh, Co- Justin's son had the audacity to tweet out a picture of him with Kobe and pumping Tron. Oh, so, uh, so at a Tron event. So maybe Kobe was a future Bitcoiner. We'll never know. But rest in peace. RIP Kobe. <clears throat> All right. Is that it? All right. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week.